Track Boys Podcast. Track Boys Podcast. All right, guys, welcome back to episode three of the Track Boys Podcast. We're your hosts, Devin Allen and Clayton Murphy. Clayton, what's going on, my guy? What is up? Uh, do you want to explain uh, the situation currently? What's going on? Yeah, yeah. So we actually recorded this episode already on uh, Monday morning. And while it was being edited, um, our editor, Mitch, somehow, well, I somehow had a video in the background playing because I was like looking up a a track race and then somehow like our the, the suggested video came up and it was the track boys podcast episode two so you can hear the track boys podcast episode two in the background the whole time me and clayton are talking so we're re-recording this episode um i'm just gonna do you know kind of run through the, the same thing that we talked about um we haven't talked about it in a, a few days so i'm sure we can we can have some more stuff to add so you want to you want to start us off clayton with the week. Yeah, we can get us into our uh, our weekly rundown segment, uh, pretty much dominated by uh, high performances, uh, world leads, uh, uh, age records. I mean, it's young guns pretty much running running for gold here. Yeah, all the college kids are running fast. Yeah, so we'll start at the uh, LSU meet. We had a world lead in both the long jump and the 400 meters by lsu guys uh javal harrison in the long jump 844 27 eight and a quarter uh jumping well out there and then noah williams the indoor uh ncaa champ came out strong in his uh home debut i guess in his lsu jersey or big time home debut with a 44 33 uh kind of put a stamp on that he is a contender for the uh, u.s team coming up in trials in june for sure yeah, and and a lot of those guys are running fast too, especially um, the LSU kids. Terrence Terrence Laird has already run two or three times under twenty seconds, which is pretty crazy, um, just in general. And he's he's looking pretty good. Obviously, he's the uh, um, national champ indoors. No, actually, he got second behind um, Matt Matt Bowling. So that's going to be a good race to see here in the next couple couple weeks. We have uh, conference meets coming up. I think in uh, maybe a week or two. Conference would for, be for pretty much. Oh, conference like the first would be week yeah, of May, first week, second, second week, week of May. May usually. Yeah, so two weeks, and then and then hopefully you know regionals and stuff like that, and then coming to nationals. So everybody still has about six weeks before it's go time at nationals. So I would I would expect to uh, to see some some faster times kind of keep dropping and popping off. Um, we have a. Some hurt, like, you know, my events, the, the hurdlers, um, we had Trey Cunningham ran a PB like two weeks ago against Grant Holloway. I think that I brought that up, 13-28. Um, you know, uh, Damian Thomas from LSU, another LSU kid that's running super fast. And then um, Robert Dunning actually from Alabama ran a PB 13-20-something um, this, this week as well. So it was a lot of people running quick. Um in general in, in college and um what do we what do we have for we had another we sprint had, uh, we had another uh, sprint we'll get we'll get distance here but we got another sprint tomorrow clark of alabama at the lsu meet also was the first girl under 11 this season to break that that 11 11 mark in the 100 meters 1096 take it to the collegiate lead um that's kind of stacked by L- or sec uh girls again and so but we can go to distance. Um, we talked a little bit about the 400. We talked about how uh, the 400 is pretty stacked on the top end. I think there's five guys under 45 already this season. I'm sure there'll be a couple more. It could be easily where to get into final, you got to break uh, 45 seconds. Pretty not. That's not going to be surprising. Which is tough because you got to run rounds, and then even tougher when those kids come to uh, you know the Olympic trials Definitely. and they got to run, run three rounds. Three rounds. Yeah. yeah. So we'll see. We'll see how that goes, and be interesting to watch. So then you got distance, you got the 5K. Uh, that was um, Friday night. You had the 5K uh, phenoms kind of come out of the woodwork here. You had uh, First, you had Nico Young, the freshman out of North- Northern Arizona, the uh, high school phenom that swept the nation over the last couple of years, winning everything. He When we talked about that, I didn't realize he was a, a freshman. Yeah. So that's yeah, even more U20. impressive. So it breaks the U20 American record, running 1324 at Drake Relays. And then Cole Hawker, Cooper Tier, and a pair of Iowa State guys kind of follow that up a couple hours later, running 
1321 uh, at the new Hayward, Go Ducks, at the baby. New Hayward, uh, Hayward Field at the uh, Oregon Relays there Friday night. So, again, kind of same situation. I think there was about 10 guys we kind of decided were in contention for that 5K. Obviously, these four have kind of separated themselves out, but you you never know. Um, it's really about getting that 5K time and getting qualified for first rounds. And then from first rounds, obviously, it's just about uh, your place going to, to the finals there in Eugene. So I think, again, kind of a pretty interesting uh, race. For me, right now on paper, the men's 400, uh, men's 5K are my events to watch come NCAAs in a couple weeks. Yeah, so what what do you what do you think about those guys? You know, Cooper and Cole, especially at Oregon, because I know those guys because I'm following them. Um, how do they decide what to do at NCAA's? Well, like it, as a distance athlete, right? That was elite in the eight and the fifteen, and those guys are also elite in a little bit further events. What what's the what's the process that kind of goes through your head as an athlete and a coach, like deciding what you're going to do? Yeah, so for me at NCAA's, there never was a. I never thought about doubling the eight and the fifteen at NCAA outdoors. Um, but after NCAA indoors, I sat down and decided from that moment I was going to run the 15 at NCAA outdoors. A lot of people don't know that that I decided very early in the season I was going to run the 15. And the reason I decided on that was, for me, I thought my odds of winning both were, were similar. I didn't think that they were drastically different in where my training was going, where I was at. Competition-wise, I thought uh, if you go by the odds game of, oh, the 8's an easier field or the 15's easier field, they were pretty even at the time. Um, yeah. so I kind of picked what event for me, I thought would bode best for me going into the summer. Um, I thought running a 1500, gaining that experience in NCAA, staying on the strength side a little bit longer than what, uh, example, Donovan had this, Donovan obviously had to train more on the speed side, getting ready for NCAA 800. I trained more on the strength side. In the football. Yeah, yeah. So I trained on the strength side to get ready for the summer and kind of utilize that going into rounds in the Olympics, the Olympic trials, etc. So that's, that was a decision I made. I think these guys are going to have to double. It's a lot easier to double like a 5K 15 or, or 5K 10K. It's just set up for that a little better than doubling the middle distance races. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, they're just going to have to capitalize it? on points, whatever. Because I think they're third in yeah. the nation right now. So it's going to be uh, whether they feel like they need the points. Um, they're going to, whether they think their guy in the in the 8 or 15 or Charlie Hunter can step up, maybe get some points in the 15. Uh you're going to have to just, that's going to be up to, to coach Thomas there at Oregon to kind of decide, utilize those guys to capitalize on the points, but also kind of keep in mind that they have Olympic trials if that's their end goal is yeah. Olympic trials. But obviously first goal is NCAAs and trying to win a team title, I'm sure. Yeah. And I think that, uh, that's an interesting conversation to have too, especially with how the NCAA meet is set up now, um, with the two days with the day in between. Yeah. It's tough. Um, you know, men's meet, off day women's uh then men's meet you know men's meet women's meet men's meet women's meet so yeah you're gonna be doing a lot of running on those those singular days right so if you're running the eight and the 15 that's that's two yeah so the men here we go so the men on wednesday uh let me make sure 2021 yeah wednesday so we've got the 1500 prelims at 5 16 p.m you've got the 800 at 644 and then you've got the 10,000 at 738 so okay um so possible i I mean mean, if you're gonna go yeah so then but then you've got the 15 prelims at or the 15 final at 511 and the 5ks at 655 i could see very much being a a 15 5k 5K. for sure uh at least for cooper and and cole um for sure see that that 15.5 i see potentially you got like charlie hunter you be your third 1500 guy you kind of slide him in you hope it's a kicker's race you i mean just run really well over indoors of the 1500 um Mm -hmm. so it's just a matter of whether they want to slide maybe somebody in the 10k i guess to kind of get a couple points i don't know what they have on 10k strength um wise but yeah could easily do that yeah they coach thomas has got i guess a a dream there to be able to pick and choose where you want to put guys to score points for you it's it's versus just hoping guys qualify he's he's able to select pick and choose where he wants guys to score points yeah i mean back in my day it was just edward cheswick just ran every event (laughs) <laughs> so okay all right let's move on um let's talk a little bit about the sprints uh, on the pro side let's talk a little bit about the pro side in general um we got fred Curley running a 991 in miami this weekend um being the third guy in history to break the 44 second barrier and the 10 second barrier in a sprint so obviously impressive feat um i think the only other guy has done that 
um, recently was Wade Van Niekerk. Obviously, he's a world record holder in the 400. And then, to be honest, I don't know who else has done that. Um, I want to say Michael Norman, just because I know he's run under 10, and then I'll know for sure he's run under 44. So those three guys obviously are the cream of the crop when it comes to the 400 meter and also now they're becoming very elite 100 meter guys so um pretty impressive and then Trayvon Bermel uh nipped out um Noah Lyles at the Oregon Grand Prix Pro Meet this weekend um a little bit cold a little bit windy and rainy but 10:01 still a very very solid time for this early in the season bodes well for how those guys are going to come into form coming you know eight weeks from now when the Olympic trials are on. Yeah, so this was the second journey to gold meet uh, that happened. It was kind of in conjunction with Oregon Relay. So they had the university races alongside of this professional meet uh, capped off by mainly the professional races on Saturday. Uh, USATF circuit here. Uh, you had the 1500 was pretty pretty contested event. Um, Ollie Hoare runs 333 behind the pacer. He's in kind of a predicament because he obviously has his selection going on. Um, he did not run at Australian Trials, I believe. They ran fast at Australian Trials. He's the like record holder. He's trying to prove his worth. So he slid in behind the pacer and kind of kind of took over from there. Um, outside of that, there wasn't a whole lot of uh, like, I guess, highlight performances. I mean, Michael Norman, and Ry Benjamin go one, two, and the four. They run pretty decent for their openers. I mean, there's um, and there's a couple. You know, you won your opener um you know in the 1500 right yeah. that was your opener yeah. outdoors yeah. yeah so drake relays win obviously it's always nice to win a race um we got world lead by the brazilian in the 400 hurdles this at weekend drake, yeah. um yeah at drake national record we got a world lead and i believe the pole vault by mondo um at, at the lsu meet we had a we had a, a world lead for like at a couple hours by sam kendrick's at the pole vault at yep. drake um, so, I mean, overall, good good meet, especially um, this early in the year. And I, and I think, like I said, it pretty much is kind of on trend with everybody just running fast this year. You know, everybody just seems like they're ready to go. Um, so, especially after a year off year, kind of like last year with no, the Olympics got postponed. So, it seems like everybody just trained hard and just went after it and was like, hey, I'm going to get ready for next year. So, it's good. Yeah, I think everybody's kind of starting to exactly kind of come out of the woodwork here and kind of uh, put their mark on, on where they're going to be. We're eight weeks out from roughly eight weeks out from trials. So two months until we start kind of a uh, little over, little under two months until we start kind of pressures on necessarily. Yeah. So there was yeah. a, there was one more thing we wanted to kind of touch on uh, the 10 men elite Adidas group out of Boulder, Colorado, the distance group uh, has officially parted ways uh uh, with Tenman, Tom Schwartz, their coach. There's some drama around it uh, as far as how things went down. Obviously, Tenman has worked with Drew since Drew's been in high school. He's obviously kind of moved to Colorado and 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 helped evolve this group into what it is today. Uh, it's very interesting to see how this pans out, being six, eight weeks from trials here. These guys are obviously vying for, for making Olympic trials finals and, and Olympic spots. Uh, Corey Leslie, the former Arizona State coach, Ohio State Steepler, is currently doing the day-to-day according to uh, some articles, and he's getting guidance by Drew Hunter's parents. So a lot of drama with this. Uh, we're just kind of seeing what we see from the outside. There's nothing. I don't know anything more than official. what. Yeah, I don't know anything yeah. more than what's been released. I know it's been official that they've been split. I know it's official that he's asked that that it no longer be ten men elite. Um, so I'm sure they're probably going through that whole rebranding process and trying to figure that out. Wait, I'm, so I, we actually talked about that when we did our first recording of this. I'm confused on what the ten like. His name's Tom. His I, nickname I, like, is like Tenman. It? So it's like Tom Tenman. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's always been. Why? Why? Why is? Do you know why? It's I don't. Tenman? I don't know. He's always been. Okay. He's always been kind of known as Coach Tenman, kind of. I guess. So. Uh, okay. Fair enough. I yeah. Mean, so it was kind of like uh, him and Drew kind of obviously worked together. They created this group. Um, given some other athletes opportunities uh, based out of Boulder, but there's just a lot of drama with like going back and forth on camps and financials. And uh, his wife came out and kind of threw a lot of people under the bus a little bit, I guess you'd say. So it'll be interesting to see kind of what comes out of this. Obviously the biggest kind of question for me is like six, eight weeks before trials, switching coaching is not obviously ideal for anybody. So for sure. Yeah, definitely can be a little bit stressful on both sides. 
So, but yeah, oh, one thing too, I don't want to leave it out because we have this written down. Shout out Ryan Krauser for the world lead 20, uh, 2193 this weekend at Drake Relays as well. Um, at this point, it's just a weekly, if you follow Ryan, weekly podcast yeah, with Ryan Krauser throwing a world lead, world record. Like. Yeah, exactly. So if you if you just follow us, you'll probably just keep hearing you know Ryan Krauser wins and, and right. throws well. So. <laughs> All right, so like you said, like Devin mentioned, we were we were at Drake Relays. Devin and I were competing uh, last weekend. Uh, we were very lucky and fortunate enough to be able to sit down and interview our super agent, American Track League CEO, uh, track and field icon, uh, Paul Doyle. Um, he is, uh, like I said, uh, owner-operator of American Track League, which you might have caught in the indoor circuit. He had based out of Arkansas on ESPN, the four-meet circuit he had there. He um, is also um, leader and creator of Doyle Management Group with guys like Ashton Eaton. He had, uh, you name it, it's under there. Go find Andre DeGrasse, Nia Ali, Devin and I, Ryan Krauser, Sam Kendrick, Sandy Norris. I mean, you can just keep going down the list. Um, it's pretty extensive. So we were able to sit down with him. We talked about a lot of different topics and it was super, super fun. So hope you guys enjoy that part of the podcast here and we'll circle back around with you guys after the interview. All right, so we're here in Des Moines, like we mentioned, with the super agent, our agent, Mr. Paul Doyle. Thanks for joining us this morning. Absolutely. We it's uh, the day of the meet, so I guess the second day of the meet. Second day. Devin's already competed uh, once here, so we just want to sit down with Paul. We kind of go through some stuff, uh, talk about the track uh, as a whole, the sport, some of his challenges that he's faced as an agent, and some maybe some advice he has. So let's get right into it. Maybe the the meat of it, the heart of it. You kind of become known, I guess, now for for what you did over the indoor circuit and the indoor season with the American Track League, kind of sticking your neck out there, put on a circuit for us as professionals. Kind of talk us through your story with that, your ideas. Obviously, it stems from a, from a long time ago, but talking talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's been American Track League has been sort of a well, I call it an eight-year journey since we started it. Um, it's evolved a number of times, but it's actually stems from an idea I had. 22 years ago, actually, to present the sport in a better way, in a different way, more exciting, involving fans and that sort of thing. Because I've always felt like, you know, sport of track and field is great for people that know it and are in it. They they get excited by watching certain races and that sort of thing. But we're trying to attract new fans that aren't already fans of the sport, aren't diehards, you know. And how do we do that? We have to present it in a better way. I remember back when... Uh, when I was a kid growing up in Boston, I used to go to the Bruins games all the time, the NHL games. And they were pretty basic back then, you know, it's a hockey game. Yeah. But then I went 20 years later and I saw all the interaction that was happening around the game, like fan challenges, kiss cams, stuff like that, random stuff, but music cranking and stuff mm -hmm. like that. So, you know, just a, a much more modern, fun atmosphere. And I feel like track and field has missed that quite a bit. Uh, so that's what I've ultimately we're trying to do with the American Track League and I've said this before I want when fans actually show up in the stadium at an American Track League I want, I want them to leave the stadium with an experience they'll never forget you know and I think that's uh, that's essential for our sport to grow and to become more popular uh, and uh, you know th this year indoors it was very difficult because we couldn't have fans mm -hmm. uh, so it's tough to create that atmosphere we we're underfunded and you know had no budget whatsoever but we had to pull this thing together and do the best we could with with what we had and uh you know, i was blown away by the athlete support you know i mean yourself an olympic medalist coming definitely would have been there i know he would have if he was ready yeah. <laughs> um, but um you know just the, the amount of athletes that showed up like allison felix trayvon Vermel, fred curley like and then these young up-and-coming stars too it was just unbelievable how much the athletes supported that circuit so yeah overall very happy with it do you feel like there's a like a, a fight back from you trying to change the sport with this do you feel like people are trying to push back on you saying like this isn't how we should grow it or this isn't how we do it because that's not yeah. how normal track meets are well to an extent i think overall people are relatively supportive it's but i will say uh you know our sport seems to be the, the bureaucracy in the sport is pretty unbelievable. I mean, the the different groups involved in the sport, everyone competes with each other. Like, mm -hmm. you know, the flow tracks and the runner space compete against each other, the federations compete against each other. Like, I just want everyone to come together and push the sport as a whole. Yeah. Like for, for the American Track League, 
you know, we're planning to do stuff in the future. I want to, I want to give Flowtrack VIP spots at our meets. I want to give runner space that, you know, like that we need to come together to promote the sport instead of us all battling each other and, you know, fighting for scraps. We need to come together and help promote the sport. Um, you talked, you talked a little bit in that first part, um, about the fan interaction and how you go into the, the Bruins games was kind of like an overall experience. What's the best, the best example you can give to somebody that doesn't know track and field or that might follow another sport? Um, of the fan experience you want to see because the closest thing I, I would picture in my head was the 2016 Olympic trials when you know on that backfield right behind, behind the track there's just all the interactive stuff and that's like a very small scale because there's only a few things to do right right and uh you know and then I was I competed in that meet in Australia is still a gift mm -hmm. that's kind of the opposite it's like a big big like theatrical experience where people are running but there's like alcohol there's gambling there's sports betting and stuff like that so then those people you know, you can you can really not really be in, intrigued in the sports, and you can you can be on the gambling side, or you can just want to hang out with your friends or whatever like that. So, what's the best example you can give us, like something you envision? Yeah, I mean, I, th I think the stuff they do in Eugene with that fan experience and festival, I think that stuff is is awesome. Um, but we're talking two hour window of a meet. We can't do stuff like that. We we want people interacting in the actual competition. So different things that we did, um, like pulling fans out of the stands to hold the blocks. Yeah. This was an idea I got from my actual college roommate who, uh, who came down to Atlanta to visit me and we went to this meet in East Tennessee State. Yeah. And uh, my first athlete I ever managed, Peter Coughlin, was doing his starts before his hurdle race. And he says to my buddy, Mark, can you come hold my blocks for me? They were slipping a little bit. And he says, yeah, sure. So he comes over there. And after that, that race, my my college roommate Mark comes up. He's like, "Oh, that was unbelievable!" He's like, I could feel the <laughs> tension, like their muscles twitching. He said, "That was so fucking phenomenal." Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, so that type of thing. So, bringing fans out of the stands to do stuff like that. I think just putting fans closer. Yeah. Like a lot of our meets that we did in 2016 before the before the Rio Olympics, we invited the fans down onto the infield. Now, usually the TV broadcast people are like, "No, we need a clean infield. We want it. You know, we want to see just the athletes yeah. and that sort of thing." But I think that fan experience was unbelievable. I remember that Courtney Ocolo running the 300 mm -hmm. and the, all these kids are on the back straightaway lined up watching her come out of the blocks and then they sprint across the track, uh, across the infield to see the finish yeah. as well. And like this just created such an atmosphere that, uh, that fans kind like a Kind of like a dual meet, right? Like you have a dual meet versus two teams, you're on the infield and you're, you're back like, and forth. You're back and forth running like four yeah, by four. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And giving that cool. to the fans, not just exactly. the athletes. Yeah. So. And then, of course, infusing music and dancer, dancers and DJs, live bands, stuff like that. I think all that stuff is important. I mean, I, I remember in Houston, um, when our last ATL meet before the Rio Olympics, there was a woman that came over to me, and you know, she was an older woman, and she said, excuse me, do you work with the meet? And I said, yeah, yeah, I do. And she said, uh, this is great, unbelievable, but uh, could you just turn the, the sound down just a little bit? It's really loud. And I said, yeah, sure, no problem. And I said, so I went straight over to the, our sound tech and said, hey, we can just turn it up half a notch, you know? Like, I think that's, you know, that's the, the atmosphere we're trying to create. And I, I think it was hard this indoor season with no fans and that sort of thing, but yeah. we had a DJ, we ran the events relatively quick, but there's a lot more stuff we want to do on the broadcast. Like, I want to have an all-access camera that goes into the back and is chatting with Devin before he's getting ready for mm -hmm. his hurdle race, going over and talking smack between the athletes, stirring mm -hmm. stuff up, that sort of thing, talking to the coaches, you know, how, what, what type of shapes your athlete in, what are you expecting today? Mm -hmm. So give that real insider's look into it. Because you know, a lot of people, my friends, they'll watch the meets on TV and say, oh, that was pretty cool. And if they actually come to a meet and sort of shadow see me around, they, they really get into it and they see see what's happening. Yeah, I mean, because we're invested because we know the people competing. It's just like anything, right? You're you're a parent and your kid's playing lacrosse. Yeah. You might not like lacrosse, but mm -hmm. you're invested. So, yeah. yeah, no, I understand that for sure. Mm -hmm. So where do you see now American Track League, obviously, hopefully being a part of it and continuing to grow um, as you face these challenges and overcome them and grow? Where do you see, as we have a big cycle here with Tokyo through Eugene, through mm -hmm. World Championships, through the next Olympics in Paris and World Championship following, where do you kind of see the sport going or where, where does the sport need to go over the next five years to continue to go through that next cycle and continue to gain traction? Well, the bottom line is we need exposure. Like our sport has done a good job of going to obscurity, unfortunately, you know, and 
I had a conversation yesterday with one of our uh, advisors and potential investors in, in the American Track League, and he was, he was saying, you know, you gotta, you gotta do something that shows how great of an athlete Ryan Krauser is. You know, so put him, have him do a vertical jump test against these NFL guys, and, or do the bench press test, or, or whatever. You know, some way to show what an incredible athlete he is. And he had a bunch of these ideas, and I said, you know, that's great, but honestly, that's a Band-Aid fix. That, that's something to start, get the ball rolling and yeah. get going. But the reality is we need the public to know that 2250 in the shot put is unreal, you know? Yeah. And to be able to, to know that running sub 13 in the hurdles is, you know, the upper echelon of what's possible for human performance. So those sorts of things, we, we want the public to know that because they're so familiar with the sport. So, you know, I love the ideas of getting creative and, and doing things that, that spark the pub, public's interest and, something they can relate to but long run I think we really need to familiarize everybody with the sport so and that comes with exposure like our our viewing figures from the American Track League blew us away from what mm -hmm. what we expected ESPN was honestly like over the moon with with that um, you know we had a peak viewership now the way they do numbers in track and field is or sorry, in all TV ratings, that you have the, the number of viewers that tune in. So every one of our meets had over a million viewers. But they look at what the peak viewership is at any one time. So the maximum number of people watching any meet. And this is talking in the thousands. We went from 273 the first meet to 354, to 409 on Super Bowl Sunday, to 477. So we had about a 20% increase every week. And that type of exposure is, you know, making a comparison, 477, we beat every single NHL hockey game that was on NBC Sports Network that month. Um, we tripled the viewership from the 2016 World Indoor Championships that were in Portland. They had 160, we had 477. Yeah. So like, being on the ESPN flat platform is essential. And to me, that's what will make a difference in the sport. This continual exposure, you gotta, you gotta get the sport to the fans. To this point, being a track fan has been hard. Yeah. You gotta seek it out yourself now. When we were in this indoor season, we were in every sports bar in America. Mm -hmm. You know, ESPN won sure. on Super Bowl Sunday, leading into yep. the Super Bowl. We were we were everywhere. Yeah, and I think too, um, with exposure comes with like consistency. If you can plan somehow, and there's a track meet almost every week, right? If we can get a track meet at three o'clock on Saturday, yeah, on a consistent basis. every week, right? Everybody's gonna tune in. Yeah, you know, it's like, oh, what's the track meet for this week? You know, just like Monday Night Football. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. And I agree with you too, like the Krauser situation of like Krauser, comparing Krauser to football players is great and all, and it's just like a splash in the pan, and that kind of grabs a few more fans. But then you've got to have the sport stand alone, like exactly what you're saying. Like there's got to be consistency. There's got to be meets that people look forward to. There's got to be athletes between January in the Olympic trials and the Olympic trials in Tokyo where mm -hmm. they attach to, and a fan attaches to Devin Allen and says, I'm going to follow Devin's career through Tokyo. What does he do post Tokyo? Yeah. And then they become attached to Devin Allen and the hurdles and the sports, and then they might even find a javelin thrower they like, and it kind of grows because that sport's so unique. And I feel like that all access kind of allows you to kind of potentially gain that that love for an athlete in an event that you wouldn't just see if it was just streamed, you know, behind a paywall and just streamed and just showing a camera on the field. The athletes PRs were were said and then the next event goes on the Well track. that's the thing too, it's so easy to follow those athletes with social media. So like all you gotta do is like plant the seed. Right? You do like a ten minute thing on you before your race, people are like, Oh, this guy seems cool. They'll look you up and then now you have a fan. So um, something I thought that would be kinda of funny and I always talk to it talk about it with my physical therapist in, in Annapolis is just throwing a random person from the stands at each event. Yeah. Right? So cause 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 his name's Kyle and he was like yeah, I did some I did some repeat hundreds and I was like, Oh like, you know, he's a good he's a pretty good athlete, played college lacrosse. Mm -hmm. He's in really good shape still and I was like, Oh, he probably runs like, you know, twelve seconds maybe. And he was like, No, I like fourteen. I was like, Dang. <laughs> yeah. Like he's like, Yeah, the last like forty meters is like tough for me and so it'd just be interesting. Like he's a a, a good athlete and right. if you see this guy, he's in great shape. He still lifts every day, he still lifts with me sometimes and he, you know, he he'll be four or five seconds behind the yeah. best guys in the world, which is 
like 40 meters. Yeah. So you gotta, if you saw that on People TV. People think four or five seconds is like nothing. No, yeah, no, you, no, no, you, no. If you saw that on TV. That much, but then if you see that gap open up yeah. and how, how much that dude's struggling 80 meters in. And so that was like kind of funny. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, I mean, that's, I think you guys take for granted how talented you guys actually are, you know, because most of your friends, people you interact with are that way. But yeah, I think it was actually Bill Murray, the legendary comedian mm -hmm. that tweeted that out before Rio. He said they need to put a regular person in every event for, for point of reference. Yeah. You know, it'd be hysterical. That'd be good. <laughs> I like it. We so, actually, it was, oh, we actually did that sort of in 20, uh, 2014 at our very first official ATL meet. We had, um, prior to the meet, we opened up to the public a 40 yard dash. So everyone would come out and run the 40 yard dash. And then we had all the athletes run a 40 yard dash that were in the 100. So instead of running heats in the 100, they ran a 40. Mm -hmm. And we allowed the fastest person from the public into the final. Oh yeah. And I'm telling you, 10 meters into that race, he was nine meters behind. Yeah. And he ran, he ran 4'4 four, four in the 40. Yeah. <laughs> he was like yeah. legit. <laughs> so, but, uh, but anyways, yeah, no, that. Well, like, that pressure you know, too, you feel that pressure. Yeah. <laughs> We put a GoPro on him too, which um, might have weighed him down. Yeah, unfortunately, he was adjusting the GoPro before he went, and he put, turned it into picture mode. So uh, we no. never got to see the no. the video footage from him. Uh. So meets are happening. You've had your indoor circuit. Uh, we're here at Drake Relays, Oregon Relays, and the Grand Prix happened. There's been a couple other smaller meets across the U.S., but now the big meets are starting to happen. Um, meets are starting to happen in Europe and on the Diamond League circuit. As a Probably who's been a meet director and agent and all has checked all these boxes. Where do you see this year with COVID and still being limited on different things? What do you see the biggest challenges as meets try to host athletes this year and create different like opportunities for us to compete? Well, I mean, the, the problem, you just have to be really nimble as a meet director because things are going to change. You're going to have to deal with things like, you know, we had uh, a lot of athletes in the indoor season that had to pull out of the meet because of COVID contact. Mm -hmm. No, none of, luckily, I mean, we did 587 COVID tests. We only had one positive out of everybody, but we, we did lose some athletes because of contact to that one positive test and that sort of thing. So, um, but you know, the, you got to check a lot of boxes. You got to look at the local government issues, you know, their, their restrictions rather, and see what you have to abide by. It's, it's not hard, honestly. Like I think it can be done in a lot of cases, but you know, it's, it's just sorting out those things and making sure you're able to make adjustments on the fly if need be and accepting the fact that hey things are going to happen you know i know we're here in, in drake but i've had one of my athletes has tested positive out in eugene and not only is that athlete out but a few others that were in close contact with him are out of the meet now yeah so now we gotta figure out how to get them home <laughs> so. yeah i mean that and that's the issue right like yeah. obviously all the protocols you know the the the, the covet testing before and then the antigen testing day before the meet and and we all wearing masks obviously we're not doing this for this but because we've had dinner and all that stuff together but uh you know it's just like you said you got to be flexible and uh be able to kind of go with the flow and just kind of adjust i mean you know we, we talked about this before you know all it means is we, 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 we wear a mask everywhere to run in the Olympics. We'll, we'll do that. You yeah. know, as athletes, especially. So. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's good that, that, you know, there are challenges heading to Europe. There's a lot of travel restrictions and things like that. There's, there's issues. What if you test positive in Europe and you're forced to stay in a hotel for 10 days? How are you going to prep for trials and Olympics and stuff like that? So there's a lot of concerns and issues, but everyone's going to learn how to deal with it. Luckily, you know, in the U.S., we have, it seems, more options than we've ever had to stay on home soil and compete. So, so that's a good thing. So you just mentioned it, Olympic trials coming up in June. We've got some opportunities now who are growing. Uh, there's numerous events, obviously. There's some tough events to make. In your uh, experienced opinion, mm -hmm. what do you think is the hardest team to make for the U.S. team come June at the Olympic trials? Whoa. So when we talk historically, I feel like it's been the women's 100 meter hurdles, right? Uh, in recent years, you look at, like, our girls swept the Olympics yeah, in, nice. in 2016, yet there were three girls at home for sure, more than three possibly, that thought if they were the three, they could have swept as well, yeah. you know? So I think that event, although right now, it's not looking quite as deep as it has been in the past, there's still, it's still gonna be a challenging one for sure. Um, I don't know, you can look at it in, in a couple of ways. You got, um, the men's 400 is a very tough one. Right now, yeah, you know? for sure. Mm -hmm. and it, but it's it's also 
completely open, right? I mean, you have uh, Michael Norman and Fred Curley that would be on paper definitely the top two yeah. prospects, but then you have 12 guys that can grab that that third spot. Well, and the issue you know? with that is at the trials, you have to run rounds. Yeah. I know you're running three, 400. It doesn't matter. You know, a lot of those guys run 44, 43, but you got to do that after you've run it three times on yeah. three days. So Yeah, young up-and-coming athletes there, too, yeah. that are, you know, blowing things, blowing times away, but then you get guys like Vernon Norwood and, and Michael Cherry and guys like that. And there's lots of guys Consistent, that can grab yeah, that, yeah. that third spot. And not that those first two were given either, you know? So, so you <laughs> would say- happens on the day. So you would definitely say that's probably the deepest field right now is the men's 400, um, yeah, just in talent. I mean, I, I, yeah. I kind of agree too. There's a lot of guys running 44 already. Yeah. And like even six, eight years ago, if you ran 44, you're like, all right, you're probably on the team. 2009, 45 won a medal at World Championships, yeah, right. you know, so, <laughs> in perfect conditions. Yeah. So, uh, but then you've got, uh, you know, I always feel like the, the mid-distance events are very tough as well because they become tactical, mm -hmm. you know, and it's who is the race going to go out and suit somebody, you know, is it, yeah. does it suit a kicker's race or is, it, or is someone going to push the pace? Is it, you know, so those are a lot more of a crapshoot a little bit too. Uh, and you can always see somebody come out of nowhere and surprise people. Especially when you go back, what, 2016, uh, women's 800. Like, I mean, yeah. that oh. was just like, you don't see that in the sprint events, you know? No. Like, you don't see everybody get taken out and all of a sudden, like, opens up for yeah. for people. So, I think there's a lot of events who are, there's a two or three, or one or two separated athletes who, women's 400 hurdles. There's obviously two athletes who are, who are pretty separated. Shamir showing herself in the 400, hasn't really busted out the hurdles yet, but obviously could be potentially based on our 400, that third person. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Then there's events like, let's say the men's 1500, where it's, you've got the, the, the Matthew Centrowitzes and the Craig Ingalls and the Johnny Gavorks who have proved themselves, but then you've got a slew of guys who you could just slide in there mm -hmm. and really be anywhere from one to 10. Yeah, you have yeah. a good day or And a bad then you've day. got like the men's hurdles. Yeah. Like, you can't really separate, you've got Grant, Grant, you've got you, you've got a whole slew of dudes who easily could slide in there two through, two through six and any on one day it could be Thing. Then you've got guys like Ron Krauser who are just gonna throw left-handed and probably knock on wood. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, no. You look at the, uh, Christian Cantwell back in I think it was '04. Christian Cantwell hadn't lost in 15 months, and he came into trials and finished fourth. You know, so I mean, yeah, Krauser's killing things, but you know what? If he if he ends up throwing 22:20 on that day, you got Kovacs, you got Darrell Hill, you got yeah, Ponzio, you yep. got you know Otterdahl. There's Nothing is a guarantee, for sure. Yeah, and there was a, I, I don't know if this story's true, and I heard it, and I like, I just keep saying it like it's true, <laughs> but uh, there's a story that Alan Johnson was competing in the 96 or 2000 Olympic trials, and he was pretty nervous going into prep. Uh, maybe he didn't run as well as he had preseason as he usually had. Yeah. And I guess maybe his girlfriend or his mom, I don't, like, the story kind of, like, changes every time I say it, yeah. but was like, hey, Alan, why are you so worried? He's like, you know, I'm just, you know, not that I'm feeling bad, but I'm just nervous about the race. He's like, when's the last time you got fourth in anything? Yeah. Right, because at the Olympic trials, yeah. you know, top top three is is first place, yeah. really. I, yeah, mean, yeah. I mean, you want to win, obviously. You want to yeah. compete to win, but the goal at the Olympic trials is to make the Olympic team, and then once you're there, you got a ticket, yeah. you know, turn it on. So it's always good. Um, I actually want to do one of our segments with you here, Paul. Okay. Um, it's, we do, it's called the handoff, and what we do is like ask a question to each other that's kind of like, that we don't know. Um, it could be anything. It could be anything. Track, not track, Track, training, not track. So, okay. so my question, and I'll start, and then you can go, and then Clayton will go, okay. is what, if you could pick any other event to compete in, what would you do? Like this, and you're gonna be at the elite level, like you'll be top three in the US, and what, like, what would you do? You asking me first? I'm, whoever wants to answer. I've well, I don't do an event. <laughs> so, I mean, well, well, when you when you I did, yeah, right? I did decathlon. Yeah. I don't. I wouldn't want to choose any other event. But I guess, um, I'd I'd want to be a hurdler to be okay. honest. Like, that was one of my favorite. It was my first event. Yeah. Um, but actually, if I could pick something outside of the decathlon, I'd do four hundred hurdles. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. Let, let me do that. Kind of like Ashton Eden when he took that year. Yeah. Exactly. Hiatus, yeah. yeah. I was, we talked about this, I think, last week on the podcast about hardest events. I still think triple jump. Just like the, so you, you have to have triple jump? Yeah, because I'd want to be, I'd want to see how, how the challenge of it. Yeah. Like, I want to see if I'm true in saying you have to have athleticism, you have to have speed, power, strength, but then you have to have the technical yeah. ability to get through all three but phases. You have a good body type, too. You're kind of wiry and tall, like John, I know, Jonathan I kinda, Edwards. You know, yeah, you could, you could 
break the world record. Maybe I'm not Christian Taylor in Paris. I'm maybe, maybe that give me a couple of years. I would break my body in the Oh, 100%. Now, my, my ankles, calves. That's if I be... imagine the chiropractor after one day of practice, I'd be like, I'm yeah. done. That's yeah, it. that should be an event that's banned in Masters Athletics, right? Oh, 100%. <laughs> it's it's, it's, it's nerve-wracking. an old guy in that event. What, the decanations meet where we were, we were trying to find a triple jumper, and uh, who was it? The pole vaulter. Uh, Mark Hollis. Mark Hollis couldn't get to the pit, and we kind of convinced them to move the board up for us. <laughs> and then and they moved it. it. Halfway, and then all of a sudden the officials saw what they were doing, and they yelled at them and made them move the board back. Yeah. And Mark kept landing like a foot, two feet short of the pit, and yeah. we could never get a mark. Yeah, yeah, we were just trying to get him that last place to yep. get those points. Yeah. All right, your turn. Um, what, what do you name? Throw something off the top. My, of your head. my event, I've always been just like a fan, and like the strategy and everything is a fifteen hundred. Yeah, just yeah. you know that. Cause it's so like if you and like we talked about earlier, like the, the normal person might not know how fast everybody's running. Yeah. But you're running so fast for three and three quarters laps. It's and it's so tactical. It reminds me of the four by four, but just doing that for four laps. Yeah. Right. Like you're you know just weaving in and out of people, trying to find position. You know we all you, you guys always talk about getting boxed in or like making a move. You know trying to make a move off the curve, whatever like that. So very technical and 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 very cool just to see like the whole race unfold um especially like the last like 600 meters right like you can like in our heads right we know who's who, who the guys are right like, these are the guys and they're like oh there they go yeah and they start making their moves i like, start picking off one by one and then they come yep. in that last 300 meters and yeah so you don't really see either and i even notice this when i watch when i rewatch my races or other 800s and 1500s too is how fast people are actually closing the last 100 or 200. Mm -hmm. And so you go look at the splits and you compare them to oh, like- 100%. Wait, like I ran 26.8 in my last 200 yeah. on in the mile on uh, Wednesday night. And had someone, you asked somebody, it would have never looked near like 26 Well, that's the thing, I did, a, I did a workout 200, 28 seconds. <laughs> and yeah. I was like- And he's doing that after yeah. 1300 meters. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Now I remember, what was it? I think the 92 Olympics, uh, the men's race was super tactical. The women were actually like three seconds faster than the men through a thousand meters, mm -hmm. it just became a complete. Which is like twenty sixteen, yeah. Matthew. Right? Yeah, yeah. Slow, slow. I mean, I I think I have the record in the Mid American Conference for the slowest fifteen hundred conference championship. Mm -hmm. We were like four oh five for fifteen hundred. Yeah, like we were almost ten seconds slower through. Did everyone just sit on you? No, we were sitting on. It was sitting on everybody. Yeah, we okay. were five five wide. Like we were two oh two ten. Through yeah. eight hundred, I mean, we were the the women yeah. were like two oh. I mean, two ten is fast for me. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the uh, I think it was worlds in. It's been 07 in Osaka. It was the Canadian guy. He ended up getting pipped at the line for the for the gold. But the gold in the 800 was won in like 147.98 or something like that. Uh, I've seen the race. I don't know. 2015 was pretty tactical too with Rudisha. In same similar situation, yeah. like they kind of tactical. But yeah, I can't think. Oh, of I'm, I'm drawing a blank on his name. It's not Canadian. Um, I'm sorry, because he's a good buddy of mine. Yeah, <laughs> but he yeah, uh, I, he. Uh, he, he basically, no one wanted to take the lead. They mm -hmm. literally were running 20 seconds for the first 100. Yeah. So he said, fine, I'll take the lead. And he just got in front and then slowed it down. Yeah. And then as they started to surge, he started to surge with them and he got pipped at the line, but yeah, he won the silver. A lot of tactics behind it. Yeah. So. Do you want to do, do you want to do a handout? Do you have anything on top of your mind you want to throw out? Do you just want to ask? Like, yeah. Yeah, I want to ask you guys. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Throw out a random thing. Um. What's your favorite subject when you were in school? My favorite subject? Um, like all school, college included? Yep, yep, everything. You want me to go? You yeah, go ahead. Well, you had a different question. Oh, I got a different question. My favorite subject in school was... That's tough. Let them think about the favorite thing on <laughs> Netflix. Tough. Oh, favorite thing on, oh, the Four. Formula One series. Yeah. It's easy. Oh, yeah, we talked about that in the first insane. episode. Yeah, the yeah. Formula One series. We, we actually, I think this was last week's handoff. It stemmed from this because I finished the Formula One series. And uh, we talked about how is every sport just pretty much a game of centimeters and inches when you think about it. Like missing a basketball shot to win the game is a, is a game of inches. Getting out leaned to the line. And like my stem of that was watching the Formula One cars mm -hmm. and how they're literally like this no, going unreal. 200 miles an hour with yeah. millions of dollars of machine yeah, and yeah. what hundreds of horsepower and they're just like sliding by each other you know it's and unreal. just wheel to wheel and i i that netflix series and the insight that they give i, I didn't realize like how often someone crashes it's usually like yeah usually like one race there's, yeah like every, every race, race there's yeah. a pretty big i was like dang there's a pretty yeah. big well, that's a lot i mean i luckily like from what i saw not a lot of people were getting like really hurt 
yeah, and that's probably just safe and that's all in like that's all car engineering, yeah, right? They, engineering they, exactly they create the car to protect to the person, pretty much exactly around the person. So, but still, like, just imagine that, right? Like, how many people start the circuit? Twenty five. Twenty. Twenty. Yeah. Ten so like, two every time. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm like, geez, man. Yeah. yeah I think so, Formula One. What is it? Drive to win or whatever. Yeah. Will to win or whatever it is is currently cool. the favorite. The yeah. Best one. Cool story, but I've been to a Formula One race in Budapest okay. after the meet one time, and it was. Me and Asafa Powell, he was sort of like the star of the meet that year. And uh, they gave us complete VIP treatment. Yeah. And we, uh, so we got grid passes, so we're down on the oh, field, like, checking out the cars, talking to the drivers as yeah. they're getting in the cars and all that. And then they, they bring us up to this room and they kind of bringing us into this private room with a big glass right over the track. And uh, I kind of got a glimpse on the door of the, you know, the name tag that was on the door and it said President whatever. And mm -hmm. we go into the room and uh, you know, I thought it was like the president of Formula One or something like yeah. that was gonna come in. We sat there, me and Asafa, and then in walks this guy with a whole bunch of security. Uh, he was the president of Hungary oh, <laughs> oh, with, with his nine-year-old yeah. grandson. So yeah. the four of us sat and watched it with his security detail. And there was one security guy I kept looking at him like, I know that dude. And it, sure enough, he was a hammer thrower that trained uh, in yeah. Athens, Georgia. <laughs> and he's now Jesus. security detail for the president. That's cool. Yeah. So You still gotta do your subject. Yeah, yeah subject. Oh, subject. Can't think of one really that hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's I'll probably just go with like accounting. Come on. Yeah. No one likes accounting. <laughs> no, I you know what? That's why I specifically so, picked finance over accounting. So, 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 but but here's the done. reason this is for the, the fan. The reason I do like it is because it's like one of the few subjects in my life that I've actually used, like learned specifically, and then like a one-to-one -one transition into like Directly applying it. Like I know, I know, I, I, I know right how now. to do the accounting now. Yeah. Like I know what it's supposed to look like. I know how to balance everything. I Not I, that I even do my accounting. I, 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 I kind of get that. But like that—that's the reason why. And like to be honest, the first time I took it, I fa I failed it because I entered the class, tore my ACL in the Rose Bowl, mm. 2015. We already missed that first week of class, that winter term, because we were gone for the national championship. Mm. Then the second week, I had knee surgery, so I was out. And then third week, I was all like pain medicated up. Mm -hmm. And so the third week on Friday, we had our midterm and I was just like, oh, I just got to show up and try to do it. And I got like a 28%. Mm -hmm. And so the teacher, I told the teacher, like he knows it. He knew everything he knew was, was going on. He was yeah. like, to be honest, like you're just a little bit far behind. Like I'm, I'm going to help you catch up, but you could pass, you know, pass the class and just retake it or just not come at all and just retake it. So what I did was pass, no passed it. And I ended up getting a, a 78 in the class at the end, but like I already passed no past it, so I had to retake it anyways because oh, cool. for my business degree, I had to get a grade. grade. Mm. So then when I retook it, I got like a 97. So like I, I took accounting twice, and I like so I know accounting. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we'll wrap it up here. Last question. Uh, you've been around the block. You have worked with many of athletes across different events. What's your one piece of advice to an athlete whose first year is on the circuit? Uh, they've got potentially obviously a USA's Olympic championship world championship qualifier world champs a big meet at the end of the season they got a Europe stint what's like one thing you tell them January February as they start their year for them to prepare for or do or understand it's gonna they're gonna go through as they prepare for their first year on the circuit as professional Jeez, that's a big question yeah. <laughs> what, um, what would you tell me or Clayton our first year. Well, what, what did I tell you here's your flight to Europe yeah. you're gonna land here and then uh, just good luck Getting off the plane, uh, find so, out where to, so somebody's gonna pick you up. Yeah, somebody will pick you up. I remember you sent me to Poland one year, and I thought I was going to the same meet as you in like the oh, big yeah, Poland yeah, meet. yeah, yeah, yeah. The you big Warsaw meet. I was so excited. It's a big stadium, and I show up, and I'm like some random city in Poland. There really was no meat transportation. Well, that was 2017. I remember that. There's a thousand meter walk to the track, and I remember texting you. I'm like, oh, when do we race? Like, there was no like packets. There no, was but, no meat. But I, but I will say this, Paul. Paul is on it. I remember yeah, my was. first my first year pro. I went to Paris and I was too early. Mm -hmm. I think I was just like flying across the country for something. So we was like, let's, let's just go Keep to Paris. Going. Yeah. yeah. And it was like five days early. So like I stayed in the airport hotel. Like I landed in, in Paris and then I just stayed in the hotel right there for like the day. Mm -hmm. So he was like, the, meat, the meat's not ready for you until tomorrow. And that was super easy. Cause at, at first I was like, oh shoot. I, I just assumed I was just gonna go to the meet. Yeah. As an athlete, we don't know like what the policies are and everything yeah. like that. Yeah, so yeah. obviously. No, it, it's, yeah, sometimes I take for granted, you know, I've been doing this for 22 years, so I know how it works. Yeah. And sometimes I take for granted that athletes know. I remember 
Laron Bennett, who actually used to coach here at Drake University after his career. First time he signed with me, and he was going over to Europe, and he's like, all right, so he's a 400 hurdler. Mm -hmm. He's like, okay, so when are, when's the semifinal and when's the final? I said, dude, you only run once. This is the circuit. He, like, yeah. he thought he ran heats and finals yeah, yeah, and yeah. 400 hurdles, that, you know, thought it was a multi-day event. He's no. compared it to NCAAs or yeah. something in their mind. So no, but I think just always making sure athletes know what's coming. Like, yeah, you're flying to this meet. Okay, here's the meet director's phone number if you're not picked up at the airport. You know, Paris is a nightmare airport to go yeah, into. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, it's okay, kind of far you, from everything, too. Yeah, and if you can't, uh, if you're not found when you come outside of baggage claim, I had athletes telling me before, like, oh, I'm in baggage claim and I can't can't find the meat transport people. I said, okay, walk out the door, they'll be there. They can't come into baggage claim. So, you know, you know, just knowing these yeah. little nuances of different airports. Well, then you walk, you walk, airports, you walk out the door, but then you can't get back in. So you got to make sure like, right. you're ready to go. <laughs> oh, I've circ yeah, so I said, I always circle. I always like, that's my thing. It's like, I circle baggage claim, like every baggage claim opportunity or circle the whole ticketing count everywhere you can go without getting into like the gate. Then if there's nobody inside of the building, then I do the, the outside yeah. circle. Cause I'm like, exactly what you're saying. I don't know if I can get back in. I don't know how it works. The, you know, the biggest meets like the, like the diving league, they do a really good job. For sure, just because they have like all the dynamic signs, so yeah. you can just like stand by the sign and like somebody yeah. will find you. Yeah. But like some of the smaller meets, although they do do a good job too, can be a bit like yeah. You might be by yourself, and then this they just send one person just wearing plain clothes, like yeah, hey, yeah. like you look like an athlete. Are you Devin? I'm like, oh yeah. They're like oh yeah, I'm here to pick you up. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, yeah. thanks. Yeah. So yeah, I remember one story. Adam Nelson, who was you know big veteran of the circuit, mm -hmm. big guy. Uh, he flew into Dakar, Senegal, when they used to have that meet in Dakar. And strange thing, most flights in Dakar land at three o'clock in the morning. And you walk out of the airport and it's just like complete mayhem. And despite Adam being very experienced, someone comes up to him, oh yeah, it's like, come with me, come with me. So he thought it was to meet people. Oh, it was just and a it taxi guy, like trying yeah. to solicit. Well, not only that, it was criminals. Oh. So they took him in and they thought they were the meat transport, bring him to the hotel. They drove him down a back alley and they stopped the car and said, how much money do you have? And he just... Adam's the wrong guy to mess with in that situation, but he, he said he was so scared, but he just started yelling at them, and, you know, he's a big guy yelling at them in the back of the car. They end, up, they, end up driving them, they end up driving them to the hotel and dropped them off. Wow. <laughs> but, but no, like, so I would never, you know, send a new athlete or someone like that into a situation like that where they don't know what's going on, so. Yeah, yeah like, we're, we're veterans that you, we can kind of handle it. We, yeah. we know what's going on, and if we need help, we'll call somebody. But. Do you get nervous every time you go through customs still? No, I get nervous. The, the, I've the, watched too many locked up abroad. No, but here's but here's the thing: they ask the question to like, so are you here on business or pleasure? I'm I don't like, know what. Yeah, what do you? What do I say? You, so I say business. They're like, what are you doing? Oh, I run track. They're like, are you gonna make any money? Maybe if I run if I run fast, <laughs> right? So so that's kind of the, the the whole question. They're like, oh, well, you need like a business visa. They're like, oh no, like I don't think so. And then like. Usually the, the second person. No. Yeah, usually <laughs> the second person that you talk to at customs always is like, oh, I understand. Just yeah. Go. Yeah. No. Yeah. Well, do you have anything else left before we wrap this up for the? No, just uh, good luck to you both today, and hopefully things go well. I Appreciate love the uh, the podcast. Keep it going. Thanks. And uh, yeah, thanks for luck thanks, this year. Thanks for being on. All you know, it's early in the morning for us, so we appreciate you waking yeah. up early. Yeah. Appreciate Getting it. This done. Thanks. No problem. Thank All right, you. guys. Thank you. All right, guys. Thanks for checking out that interview. Um, it was really cool getting to talk to Paul, just about you know kind of how the sport itself is run and in his perspective as an agent, as a meet director, um, trying to put on meets for the elite athletes for us and pretty much everyone in the U.S. And just to kind of see, like, you know, he talked about something interesting I found was he talked about the um, the viewership of the indoor meets and how it kept growing week after week after week. And, and I said that, hey, you know, if, if there was a legitimate, like, track meet on Saturday at 3 p.m. Eastern every week. Like, I, you could expect it to be, like, more viewed for sure because people would just, like, tune in. That's, like, the day for track and field. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Obviously, he's trying to put together some uh, American Track League meets for us this year. Um, it's still early in the season. We're going to have plenty of track meets after the Olympics as well. So I'm excited to, to kind of see how that evolves and grows. And, 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 Paul, thanks for being on the show. Um, go Ducks. I think there's a couple of things, yeah. There's a couple of things that like stood out to Paul, or stood out for me with Paul is like Paul's an, uh, like I said, owns dual management group, and so obviously his his theoretical number one interest should be like his athletes. But Paul looks beyond that and sees that 
the sport itself is is the the lifeline of his agency and, and us as athletes under him so he 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 works really well with trying to bring the entire sport up a lot of agents would just be like oh i'm just gonna have a meet it's based around uh, a certain brand or a certain group or a certain agency etc yeah yeah and and create that meet based on that whereas doyle creates american draft league and it creates opportunities for for everybody i mean if you look at the indoor indoor circuit he, he mentioned it. he had fred curley he had allison felix uh trayvon bromel uh bryce hopple donovan brazier was supposed to run in it raven rogers was supposed to run in it um i mean he had everybody from across multiple multiple groups multiple sponsorships multiple agencies and created this uh this brand that built up the sport um, but I, I agree 100% with you. There's got to be a way for us to connect uh, fans to athletes, fans to the sport that, that they want to stick through the entire season. Um, I mean, that's I, it's kind of part of the reason why I enjoy doing this podcast and connecting with people is like people can follow us through this podcast, you know, and stay connected with us week after week and see uh, what's going on in our lives. They can connect with us and, and now they know when we're going to race, what's going on. They know when Devin's going to when Devin's going to hurdle, they know kind of Devin's thought process going into it. So it's kind of a, a slight behind the scenes here. Just with this podcast, it kind of creates that connection with people. But I, again, appreciate Paul. And uh, we'll for sure have to do it again, maybe at the end of the season, to kind of recap how the season went recap. and the, yeah. what we can continue to improve on. Because there's always going to be things we can improve on for sure. For sure. All right. So we All had right, a uh, so we talked a little. Yeah. 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 No, we, let's. Uh, we talked a little bit about the handoff in our interview okay. with Paul, but um, we also brought up a few interesting topics that I think the, the fans will like, and we want you guys to kind of interact and comment on the YouTube video and comment on our Instagram and stuff like that. But Clayton, go ahead and ask your, your question that you asked me last week about the 400. Oh, so we did have, we did have, yeah, yeah, yeah. so we had some, uh, we had some fan submitted questions through Instagram. Uh, Track World News Podcast actually DM'd us on Track Boys Podcast on uh, on instagram and dropped us a comment he it was asking us who would win in a 400 between devin and i and uh so the two questions are who would win in a 400 meters between clayton or devin and what are your favorite things about the olympics that doesn't actually include competing so we can do the olympic question second but uh i mean the 400 uh, i mean we've kind of chatted about this a little bit even prior to this, I feel like this being brought up in conversation before, but uh, yeah. we're we're taking it out of we're taking it at the end of the season. Um, we're both uh, the best we're going to be in our own events, and then we have to step into the ring for the four hundred. There's no like training for the four and then step in. But I uh, mm-hmm. I think we're kind of in agreement of a very even race when it comes down to it. For sure, and I, to be honest, you know we recorded this episode originally on monday and we talked about this and then i had a a a pretty like speed endurancy workout on monday and i was like dang if i ran a 400 right now clayton would kill me so (laughs) as of right now clayton would destroy me in the 400 um yeah i had a workout i had a workout monday as well then it was uh yeah it was was more like 800 mile base but it was uh it was 500 400 400 300 with uh, a minute rest just at 60 pace and then it was a uh, big rest. And then it was 500, 400, 300 at 58, 59 pace. And then it was 5.32. And it was uh, 73 seconds for the uh, 500 with one minute rest. Uh, 41 seconds for the 300 with one minute rest. And then uh, 227 flats. So uh, my strength endurance middle distance is coming around. So you better, yeah, we better, we better no, wait till the good. end of the season to give you a chance. No, yeah, I'm the opposite. I literally, so I did 180, 150, 120, pretty much full, full, full gas, full recovery, and I was hurting. You know, like that. Uh, and it feels weird. It's felt like the first time, you know, in a while that I just felt like, man, I got to just get back into sprinting shape. You know, being able to sprint for that long, um, which is okay. I mean, coming off of an injury last year and then kind of working my way into the season this year, um, you know, into full training. It's it's fine. We still got plenty of time, but definitely hit me hard and i was like man i was thinking about it after the workout i was like shoot i'm glad we we aren't running the 400 here soon because i would struggle wonder hurts so uh but 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 we said but we said like clayton you said realistically you're probably gonna run like at least 46 flat that'd be um you would you'd hope to yeah. you'd hope yeah hope to dip into the 45s i think realistically based on just you know my 100 meter speed i should be able to run 46 something so, like you said, it, it'll be pretty close. Um, 
we had to see like you know it's also about pride too because we're both really good competitors so it depends on how you how you go right because I'm, I'm the sprinter i take it out hard and you know see if you chase me or if you just kind of run your own race and if that's the case then i just got to go and hold yeah. on but vice versa if you're if you're with me early then i know i know that like hey it's gonna be a freaking dog fight at the end so yeah exactly it's gonna be it'd be a dog fight for sure so Second question that Track World News submitted was just uh, our favorite part of the Olympics outside of running. Um, for me, it was pretty easy. It's opening, closing ceremonies, being able to be part of those uh, events uh, are are pretty incredible. I mean, they look cool on TV, but the process behind it, the excitement, and everything that goes into a, uh, an event like opening ceremonies, seeing it in person and walking in it was was pretty pretty spectacular for sure. Yeah, no, I agree. Obviously, it's awesome experience that's like the, the thing that's the coolest thing and people are like oh i saw you on tv and stuff like that so that's pretty fun for me it was definitely uh the opportunity to go and see other olympic sports actually compete um like i saw michael phelps win a gold medal in swimming um i watched usa versus china in basketball um i think me and you actually went to that egypt versus i remember now egypt versus sweden or norway argentina, argentina. Uh, it was Argentina. Oh, okay. It was something. I don't know. I agree with you. It yeah, something. it was like it was crazy. It was a it was a handball competition, but literally comeback of the century, like last five seconds, goal to win. Like it was insane. Yeah, it was so a fun little game. Uh, th- that was that was pretty fun to watch, um, and just be able to kind of experience the other sports is pretty cool. Um, and that's probably the, the most special thing for me. Obviously, me and Clayton were we were sweet mates in, in the village, and we were pretty f- very very focused leading up to the games in our events, which is like the second week or the last you know the the last week of the of the Olympics. So didn't have a ton of time post competition to kind of do whatever, but definitely is a fun fun experience. Yeah, for sure. We got to do some like I said, got to do some stuff before, so it was good. So. All right, yeah. So if you guys have any more questions, uh, if you guys do have questions, uh, we we love to uh, kind of bring those up, debate, talk about those. So drop a DM on uh, on Instagram, leave a comment below. Uh, we'll be sure to shout you guys out. And uh, thanks, Track World News, for uh, for dropping some uh, questions uh, for for this week's podcast. So what's next for you? We raced the Drake Relays. Uh, what what's up next for you? Um, I don't think either of us are racing, obviously, this weekend. But uh, you 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 getting back in the blocks in a couple weeks here yeah so i'm 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 doing a hard you know training week this week um today's actually my off day and then hopefully next week there's i'm training at the naval academy it looks like we might try to put on like a little inter-squad meet on wednesday so i might just compete you know with some of the kids i coach in the hurdles um on wednesday and then it looks like um mount sack doesn't have the 110 hurdles for some reason this this year so it's not looking good for for your boy going to Mount Sac. So I think I'll probably actually try to make my way out to Oregon Twilight. Um, I think they might have a few, a very few amount of elite athletes kind of mixed in with the college kids uh, for a race. So that'd be pretty fun for me, especially because I'll be able to uh, go and compete at Hayward Field and see it for the first time. I haven't, I haven't been there since they tore it down. So yeah, that'd be good for you. That'd be that'd be a a nice constellation if Mount Sac doesn't work out because uh, so so Mount Sac is the next journey to gold at USATF circuit meet um, for those of you kind of following along with that uh, it's in Walnut at the new Mount Sac stadium which I think will be pretty cool too I mean people kind of forget Mount Sac kind of put in a couple million dollars into a stadium and it kind of got just forgotten about uh, yeah it got kind of yeah. forgotten about because of uh, Eugene and COVID and everything's kind of not allowed them to kind of uh, kind of break it out so I I get to race Mount Sac in, in two weeks here, a week and a half, I guess now. Um, kind of in the same boat as you. Hard training week here. Uh, hard beginning of next week, uh, I guess. Not even really a taper, but just lighter training going into Mount Sac 800. Um, but I'm kind of excited. I'm excited, obviously, to get to Eugene and see that, but I'm also excited to see Mount Sac for sure. Is there is there a start list? It's probably going to be super, Probably. Super I, I heard uh, like Bryce is in it and stuff like that, but I have not seen any kind of, obviously, start list or anything released. Official, yeah, yeah. Okay. Maybe maybe Fair. maybe if I maybe if I check Mount Sac relays, they always do a pretty good job of like posting. Well, I looked the last night and there's no start list yet. Yeah, it doesn't look like it. <laughs> so, but you got anything else cool. for this week? But yeah, no, I don't have anything. Um, 
I just want to say thanks to everybody for for tuning in this tuning in this week and and kind of keeping up with us and and, and watching the pod. Obviously, um, also I wanted to bring up, hey, if any sponsors out there want to sponsor the podcast, me and Clayton are expert ad readers. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, no, uh, I think I think this week's going to be good for us. Um, obviously, we're not going to have much to talk about personally because we're just going to be training next week. But hopefully, there's some some good uh, performances on the track this weekend that we'll be able to kind of highlight in the coming weeks. And maybe, you know, we get a couple good questions on the, on the YouTube and the Instagram to, we can really debate debate across because I know there's a lot of interesting stuff about the track and field world that people are, are interested in. Maybe we'll do that. Maybe we'll do a rapid fire Q and a, maybe we'll, we'll post, uh, we'll post over the weekend. We'll uh, start rounding up some questions and we'll do uh, rapid fire off the top of the head uh, questions. So that'd be uh, good. We'll, uh, we'll post that out when, when this comes out and we'll, we'll send out some Q and a boxes on Instagram, Twitter, and we'll gather those on our personals as well as track pod track boys podcast. So really appreciate everybody listening. If you haven't already, if you're watching this on YouTube, make sure to hit the thumbs up, hit the subscribe button. Uh, these go out on Wednesdays. Uh, we're, we're working on Apple podcasts, Spotify, Google podcast. All of that has been, uh, distributed. So really appreciate all you guys support track boys podcast on Instagram. And, uh, until next week, appreciate you guys listening and we will catch you guys on the flip. Quick sign off and quick double flame. (laughs) Track Boys Podcast. Track Boys Podcast. By Clayton and Devin.